Welcome to Body Signals, a Cygnos podcast. I'm your host, Bill Tanser, Chief Data Scientist here at Cygnos. This is Season 4, Episode 2, Migraines and Glucose Levels Hold the Watermelon. On this episode, Dr. William Dixon and I discuss a common cause for an emergency room visit, migraine headaches. Dr. Dixon will tell us about what migraines are, how they present in the emergency room, the different types of migraines, food and alcohol triggers, the connection between migraines and glucose levels, how controlling glucose levels might help with your migraines. A quick disclaimer, Dr. Dixon's appearance on this show is for educational purposes only. No doctor-patient relationship is established by Dr. Dixon's participation on body signals. If you have questions about your own health, consult with your physician or healthcare provider. Dr. Dixon's opinions expressed on this show are his own and not those of his employer. Now on to the show. Welcome back to Body Signals. I am thrilled to have Dr. William Dixon back with us. For those of you who don't remember Dr. Dixon, he is a Cygnos founder. He's also an assistant clinical professor of uh, emergency medicine at Stanford. He is board certified in emergency medicine and obesity medicine. So, Dr. Dixon, welcome back. Thrilled to be here. We have got a really interesting topic today that we've been discussing internally, and that is migraines, and specifically the relation between migraines and plasma glucose or the your blood glucose levels. So I've got a bunch of questions for you, but let me start here. I've had really bad headaches before, and I've always asked myself, I wonder if this is a migraine, and how would I know if I had a migraine? That's fair. Um, So one of the things that are interesting about migraines is that they're often genetic. So a lot of people have family history of migraines. And so usually that's one of the kind of the first questions we ask when we're figuring out uh, what kind of headache this could be. Um, A lot of people with migraines know they have migraines by the time I'm seeing them. So if someone comes to the emergency department with with an awful headache and we're starting to ask them some questions about it, a lot of times we get, oh, I have migraines, I'm having a terrible migraine, and the medications that I have at home haven't been effective. Um, So usually it's something that gets kind of figured out a little bit earlier in life um, because people tend not to evolve into migraines uh, later. So how would we differentiate like a really bad headache I'm having from a migraine? How do I know that that's not a migraine? Yeah. um, So migraines usually have some other kind of aspect to them as well. Um, So sometimes the quality of the headache. So, you know, tension headaches, maybe more like a frontal headache across your hole um, on both sides to the temples. Um, A migraine usually is thought of more with kind of half of your head, uh, maybe a very pulsing headache. A lot of times it's associated with nausea, vomiting. Some people have really bad sensitivities to light or sound or smell. So like certain foods will make people super nauseous while they're having migraines. Um, A lot of people will get worse with physical activity. Um, And then certainly one of the the things that we kind of say, okay, well, that definitely sounds like a migraine is if people have, you know, either a prodrome or an aura um, with their migraine headache, that kind of 
lets us know that there's probably something more than just like a simple tension headache or or other kind of headache. So when you say aura, we're talking like metaphysical kind of horror movie glow around objects kind of thing. Or, yeah, it's actually one yeah. of my special abilities in the emergency department. People coming with an aura. I'm like, I say, you're looking very green today. No, it's um, it's this idea like that people have a kind of a focal neurological phenomenon that occurs in the you know around in the hour or so prior to they actually to them actually developing the headache. So there's there's kind of two things. The prodrome would be like in up to two days before people might find themselves to be like have mood changes or a little bit more irritability or some people will get diarrhea or um, certain food cravings, which is definitely something we'll go over later. Um, and then the actual aura, a lot of people will have uh, maybe some visual changes. So like a peer, uh, something called a scintillating scotoma where part of their vision kind of can be almost like looking through waves or zigzagging lines. Um, and then some people will just lose part of their vision even Um some tingling, you know, some people will even get like actual uh, weakness of certain areas. So it, it can be really tricky to figure this out, especially for someone who's um, having this happen for the first time. Yeah. It was the first thing you mentioned. You mentioned something and then auras. I didn't quite catch that. Uh, prodrome. P-R-O-D-R-O-M-E. Yeah. Prodrome. Prodrome. And ex- what's the definition of prodrome? Because I'd never heard that term before. So it's these, it's, it's this, you know, the, the drone would be the period of time where you're having the symptoms. So prodrome is the um, time before that. Um, and I'm sure it's Greek or something. I actually don't know where, the, <laughs> That's okay. where, the, where prodrome, or drone uh, comes from. But um, yeah, so prodrome is like, again, some people will have it a few hours before. Some people will have it up to two days before. Um, and so it's this period of time where people have sometimes symptoms that kind of predict the fact that they're going to have a migraine. And that's kind of unique to migraines when it comes to headaches, you know, certainly tension headaches or, you know, medication rebound headaches or some of the other kind of headaches that we see um, don't necessarily have any kind of like neurologic symptoms associated with them. So let's say I have one of these headaches and I end up in your ER. What what, what can I expect as a patient? What's what's going to happen if I, for the first time experiencing these things you're talking about, what can I expect? Sure. So um, for the first time, you know, certainly migraines can be a really scary experience, um, especially if you're having associated neurological symptoms. So certainly depending on your age and you know, family history, et cetera, et cetera, we'll ask you lots of questions. Um, one of the first things we always have to think about is, is this reflective of someone having like a stroke or a more severe cause of headache, like a brain hemorrhage um, or like a blood clot in parts of your brain or meningitis or, you know, some of these other kind of emergency headaches. So we'll usually run through a list of questions and do a pretty detailed physical exam, neurologic exam. Uh, it wouldn't be, especially, you know, we have, if people are having vision loss or um, these prodromes or horrors where they have actual physical weakness, then a lot of times we'll do some kind of brain imaging, like a CT scan or an MRI eventually to kind of make sure that we're not missing other causes. Uh, a lot of emergency medicine is figuring out 
you know, not necessarily what the diagnosis is, but what's not the diagnosis in terms of any life or limb threatening things. Um, so certainly if it's the first time migraine and you're having pretty severe symptoms, we would probably do some sort of imaging. Um, occasionally, you know, procedures like a lumbar puncture to make sure there was no blood or infection. And then uh, potentially having some consultants like a neurology um, a neurologist come and kind of uh, double check our work in the in the ED um, if they're available. Um, but again, a lot of the people that I see in the emergency department, which is a lot of headaches, you know, it's 4% or so of all emergency department visits are for headaches. Um, and I see somebody with a migraine or a headache on, you know, essentially every shift. Um, a lot of it we can, we can kind of just based on the history and the physical and response to treatment kind of determine uh, if it was a, a headache that didn't need anything more than just the right medications. So let's say you've ruled out all of these other causes. It's not just a headache. You're pretty sure that I'm coming in with a migraine. Mm -hmm. Are there treatments that I can get at the ER that might alleviate some of these symptoms? Or is this something that maybe isn't worth an emergency room visit? So it's a good question. There's there's definitely treatments available. And I actually, I find treating migraines one of the more satisfying things to do in the emergency department because migraines can be really crippling. Um, and I'm fortunate not to have experienced them myself. But certainly, you know, we have friends and family and, and, and colleagues here at Cygnos that do. Um, and really, it can it can be a really debilitating um, neurologic condition if you're having a high burden of kind of migraine days, um, which is one of the ways that people kind of quantify how many migraines they're having a month or a year or whatever. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff you can try at home. Um, and by the time I see them in the emergency department, they've usually tried all these things at home or for some reason are traveling and it came on quickly and they weren't able to take their medications. But usually even simple things like, um, you know, ibuprofen or acetaminophen, or sometimes these kind of migraine formulations of those that have maybe some caffeine in them. Um, caffeine itself, coffee or tea, making sure you're well hydrated, taking naps. Um, a lot of people will be on prescription prophylactic medications, sometimes things like beta blockers. Um, and then there's also these kind of, they're called abortive medications. Um, so you take it actually when you're having this prodrome or the aura, a class of medication called triptans. So you're taking, you're feeling the aura and you can take those. And, and the idea is that you take it before the headache comes on and you can actually try to like stop the progression of this aura to the, uh, the actual headache in the emergency department. You know, we usually do, uh, we usually put an IV in, uh, we usually give people some fluids via the IV, although that's never really been proven as a, uh, effective treatment, but, it's kind of something that just, you know, once you have an IV and <laughs> fluids tend to go in after that. And then also a lot of people when they're having migraines are dehydrated. So um, we also will do things like IV antiemetics, um, not just when people have nausea and vomiting, but it's actually the way they're kind of neuro, they affect neurotransmitters. And so it, it can help with the actual symptoms of, of migraines. Um, Similarly, there's a class of medication called antipsychotics, which is always a bit of an unfortunate name because they're useful for many other things. But um, those can be effective headache medications or migraine medications as well. Um, 
they can be a little sedating. So usually we hope that people kind of get the medications, take a little nap in the emergency department, and then we, you know, wake them up, check on their symptoms. And if they're much better, we can kind of send them home. There's some other cool stuff. You know, we usually will do like NSAIDs as well, like Toradol, IV, magnesium actually um, as uh, as an IV medication can be effective. And then uh, there are certain types of headaches that respond really well to nerve blocks. So actually taking lidocaine, like the numbing medicine, and putting it up your nose, like with a COVID swab basically, um, all the way back, you can put some lidocaine and actually put it right onto a, a nerve bundle that's uh, – deep in your nostril and some people will have uh, some migraine relief through that which is pretty wild people never really believe it works and then you try it and their migraine's gone in 10 minutes it's pretty remarkable wow now i'd heard that in the past it's now maybe not indicated that um that some some ers would prescribe a um just like a pain medication a prescription pain medication in general for for migraines. Is that true? And why does that not work? Uh, do you mean like opioids? Yeah. Like opioids. Yeah. So in general, um, I mean, obviously we, we try to avoid opioids as much as possible in the emergency department, um, or certainly prescription, you know, if people are in severe pain, we give them, um, but certainly, you know, outpatient prescriptions for things that are not necessarily going to uh, resolve. So things like chronic pain or migraines, we, you know, starting people on opioid medications for things that we expect to continue for a long time is, um, can be kind of a dangerous path to go down. Um, but they actually don't particularly work that well for migraines or, or headaches. And we have so many other good options um, that usually we try to avoid them. The other thing is certainly like withdrawal from those uh, opioid medications can be really problematic in terms of symptoms also. And so that can also trigger migraines to some degree, right? If you're withdrawing, you're dehydrated, you're vomiting. Um, anyways, you might be more likely to get a migraine again. Got it. So you presented recently at one of our staff meetings and, and we were talking about migraines. I was unaware that there's different types of migraines. Could you just briefly run through um, those different types of migraines that people have? Sure. So this is, again, the, you know, this is, I'm not a neurologist and this is not like my 100%, you know, area of expertise. And so I certainly could be missing some things. Um, but of migraines that I've seen or know about, um, there's kind of a standard migraine, which is what I described with usually the prodrome or uh, tends to be kind of on half of your head, Um of this throbbing pain. Um, some people will have ocular migraines, so that that scintillating scotoma that I described, it will um, that will be their primary symptom actually. So it, a lot of times, it uh, you know you have to have a neurologist or ophthalmologist come help you and make sure there's nothing happening with the eye or the brain itself, um, because there's some primary eye stuff that can kind of cause vision loss in the same way, and so. Some people, once they kind of figure that out the first time, they'll be able to say, okay, this is my ocular migraine. Um, but we also have to make sure they don't have like a retinal detachment or a focal stroke or things like that. So it can be pretty tricky to not diagnose that, especially as they don't always get a headache with it. So it might be just eye symptoms. Um, similarly, people might have silent migraines. So they have these neurologic symptoms without um, 
having a headache, which again, makes it very tricky to diagnose. Wow. That, you can imagine. <laughs> that's mind boggling that someone could not have the headache yet. It could yeah. be a migraine. Yeah. And then, um, the more, one of the more remarkable, you know, kind of migraine type that I've seen is this hemiplegic migraine where people are like legitimately, you know, paralyzed on half their body from the migraine in a way that really looks like a stroke. And, you know, we've gone down the whole, uh, pathway of doing the CT scans and, you know, potentially even mixing up this kind of clot busting medication, the TPA, TNK, um, before we kind of like are able to get more history because with strokes, you know, know, the the sooner you can kind of do something about it, 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 the better. So we, we really have to act quickly and it's a pretty hard thing to tease out um when someone's having a hemiplegic migraine i mean certainly you would treat you know someone who's a lot older with high stroke risk differently than you know a 30 year old with a with a hemiplegic migraine but um you know 30 year olds can have strokes too so wow i'm just curious how often in your experience have you seen the silent or the hemiplegic strokes I think, you know, again, it's hard because there's a diagnosis of exclusion. So I don't always necessarily know about it um, until like after they maybe got their MRI or were seen in clinic uh, by the neurologist. Um, But it's certainly enough that I like I'm not surprised when it ends up being a diagnosis, Um, especially the ocular migraines. I feel like I see someone with an ocular migraine maybe once a month. Okay, got it. So. I've heard a lot about triggers. Um, Maybe you could just run through what some common triggers and then a follow-up question to that is that, do we really know if these are triggers? Is there a causal link? It sounds like some of these things, it might just be a craving and yet we associate, you know, a food item, which is what I most often hear as a trigger. We associate that with, with causing a migraine. Yeah. So this is kind of, this was, as I was reviewing um, this topic for the internal discussions we've been having, I I was pretty interested to to learn more about this. So this is, you know, this is definitely a little bit new to me because certainly in medical school and through like my training, you, you have these conversations with patients where you talk about what could have been the trigger. And so you, you kind of almost maybe even lead patients into it, right? Because you're like looking at like, oh, why did the migraine happen this time? Like, what can we help you prevent in the future? And then, you know, as we're discharging you once we feel better, we basically say like, okay, well, don't do that thing that you did <laughs> that brought you here to the emergency department, which is like, oh, yeah, thanks. Super helpful, right? Um, it's kind of like the yeah. doctor hurts when I go like this and you say, yeah, well, like, stop okay, doing we'll that. Which is <laughs> 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 always super useful <laughs> advice for patients. You're like, how much did I, how much do I owe you? <laughs> Um, uh, but a lot of people, um, will describe, or a lot of people have been told to watch out for different triggers of their migraines. So for some people, it will be, um, alcohol, which, you know, frankly makes sense to me, um, chocolate or cheese, um, sometimes citrus or sweeteners or like caffeinated beverage, um, I had a caffeine withdrawal headache one time, I'm pretty sure. And that was maybe as close as I've gotten to a migraine, but that was pretty awful. Um, so caffeine obviously is, you know, the most popular drug in America, people like to say. Um, uh, some of it might be just related to what the neurotransmitters in the food are. So uh, cheese, for example, has a lot of tyramine, which is uh, uh, a neurotransmitter. And so 
there's a lot of maybe like guesses about how what you eat and different neurotransmitters are related. Um, so that might be one of the things. Um, but we also went through this study where it was really fascinating. They looked at people who have migraines and eat certain things. And uh, I mean, guess what? If you eat chocolate every day and you also have migraines, the chance that you had a migraine after you ate chocolate is 100% because you will always have eaten chocolate in the day before. And likewise, if you never have chocolate and never eat migraines, you know, chocolate will never be a trigger for you because you don't have eat chocolate or have migraines. So it might be a little bit more complicated than these being triggers as to just being a coincidence. So they call it this association causation fallacy, right? If I work out every day um, and I get a migraine after I work out, you know, is it that I'm working out or is it that I just happen to get a migraine and I work out every day, you know? Um, right. So, it could be a total correlation causation issue, but it sounds like it could be even more difficult to separate in that perhaps I have a craving for something before I get a migraine. It's not that the the thing I'm craving causes the migraine. It's just, it's, it's almost like it's predictive, but not causal. Right. So that that's one of the, yeah, exactly. That's one of the things they were talking about as well is that, you know, as we kind of went over this prodrome could be, you know, 48 hours in advance. And so your body might be triggered into craving certain things of which, you know, chocolate or caffeine or fruit or whatever might be the thing that you are triggered into craving. And thus you wanting to eat them is not what causes the migraine, but is actually reflective of the fact that you are going to have one anyways. So it's pretty fascinating and I imagine frustrating for people who uh, are suffering from migraines. So uh, watermelon, that really fascinating that that was, I think on the top of the list um, in terms of being identified as a trigger, why watermelon? So watermelon is, um, I had mentioned this, uh, this chemical before, but it can produce, especially if the watermelon is ripe, it can actually, um, produce more tyramine, which is the same thing that people tend to watch out for and like cheese or, um, uh, some other, other foods. And so tyramine can be a trigger for sure for some people. And interesting that watermelon, the, the riper it is, the more delicious watermelons are, but also <laughs> unfortunately sounds like the higher chance of it causing uh, a migraine for some people, obviously. Got it. What, what about alcohols? Should I be abstaining from alcohol if I have migraines? Do we know enough yet? Yeah. I mean, in general, I will say as a doctor, I always encourage um, people to abstain from alcohol. Um, certainly wine can have a little bit more of the chemicals that might trigger um, migraines. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's a pretty common thing for migraine triggers. It also, you sleep worse, you can be dehydrated. So it might be a little bit more multifactorial as to why it causes um, triggers uh, or triggers migraines. But Again, you know, it, I'm not going to say you can't have a glass of champagne on your on New Year's or whatever if that's something that you want to do. Um, you just have to weigh the the risk and benefits of it's a common migraine trigger for you. Most people would probably just avoid it out of the desire to not have migraines. Right, and of all the uh, alcoholic beverages, wine would be probably the most problematic. It, I think it does 
tend to have a little bit more um, of the kind of chemically active um, uh, compounds in it that that can kind of maybe trigger um, migraines, but I don't know that I, I'm not a, a brewer. So okay. <laughs> you may not know the answer to this one, but red or white, uh, have I any mean, idea? Probably, I'm guessing red, red, but one, I don't, right? yeah. 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 Um, I mean, so okay. there is, you know, there's a classes of medications, these, um, MAOI inhibitors that are, uh, mostly they've stopped using, but were, were used commonly for, um, for, uh, psychiatric conditions. And, and one of the things that you couldn't have when you were on them was because of, um, uh, the interaction they had with red wine, because it would really increase the amount of neurotransmitters and can cause uh, toxicity actually for the medications. So that's the one medication I've heard on every television disclaimer for a pharmaceutical. Don't take this if you're taking MOI inhibitor, uh, inhibitors. Yeah, it's a pretty classic kind of board question is this this person's on uh, some medication and they go to a wine and cheese party and then they end up in the emergency department very, very sick. Yeah. Wow. Now I want to get to the question I think a lot of our listeners want to hear about, and that is, is there a connection between glucose, plasma glucose and migraines? Yes. And not just plasma glucose, but again, how your body reacts to all of these inputs and stimulus and itself. And, um, and so if you look at, um, plasma glucose while people are having migraines and there's one study there during, uh, migraine with and without aura, um, their glucose went up by 10 to 15 points, um, kind of spontaneously. And again, this is, you know, is it because you're eating things right before that, <laughs> that triggered a migraine that it's chocolate or watermelon that could have a high glucose level in it, but it might or be, or could it be gluconeogenesis it could be, yeah, or stress, you know, your body yeah. overall stress. One of the, um, kind of potential interactions there is this idea of, of like local insulin resistance. So if you're, if you're, body is stressed and your brain is kind of under attack, you might have a higher insulin resistance in your body in order to kind of take that glucose that would be maybe used by your muscles or whatever and help it go to your brain so that your brain has a little bit more of this energy. So you might see kind of a peripheral glucose increase, even though your brain is the one that's actually using that glucose, if that makes sense. Um, but if you look at people who have migraines, even in people who are younger, non-obese, non-diabetic, and have normal blood pressure, so, you know, a healthy young person, um, migraine, people who suffer from migraines or migraineurs might have higher levels of insulin resistance in general, which is pretty fascinating. And then if you add in people who have metabolic syndrome, which is a kind of a combination of um, increased weight circumference or BMI, um, higher blood sugar, insulin resistance, high um, lipids, and high blood pressure. Um, people with migraines and kind of similar other factors um, versus people with metabolic syndrome without migraines, the people with migraines tended to have worse um, blood glucose 
and um, higher BMI, et cetera. So, so more into this metabolic syndrome and illness than chronic illness than people who didn't have migraines. So there's a pretty interesting association there. Yeah, absolutely. Before I ask this next question, just want to remind people, we did the disclaimer at the beginning of the show, but Dr. Dixon's appearance here is for educational purposes only. If you've got questions about your own glucose and migraines, talk to your healthcare provider. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, Doc, if I'm a Cygnos member, I suffer from migraines. Is there something that um, I could look at in terms of my glucose data or things that I could do? to help alleviate some migraine symptoms. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the reason kind of this whole topic came up in the first place is that actually we had um, uh, some members and also uh, some of our, uh, the, some of our employees all found that um, they were able to decrease their severity and number of migraines just by focusing on glucose control um, outside of trying to be healthy in other ways, the, for some reason, their trigger was swings in glucose. And so, I mean, certainly again, not me, not having migraines myself, but I have noticed that if I have a high spike followed by, you know, my insulin kicking in and then a crash, I will get a headache, um, pretty, um, with, with regularity. And, uh, so some of our members found that if they never went above 140, for example, um, they just didn't ever trigger a migraine and actually were able to, with the help of their physician, come off a lot of these chronic medications that they've been on, which is just uh, a very cool kind of side effect of trying to, trying to, to manage your glucose levels. Um, one of the long-term treatments for migraines is actually um, a keto diet. And again, I, I think keto diets uh, not going to be the topic of this conversation and for some people great and for some people completely um, unsustainable. Um, but as far back as like 1930 is the first literature I could find where they talked about using a keto diet to treat migraines was actually pretty reasonable success. And uh, at the time, migraines were thought to be a form of epilepsy, I believe. And so keto diet had already been kind of used to treat epilepsy and the lack of uh, or the absence of better anti-epileptic medications. And some people certainly now are still using keto diet um, to treat epilepsy. And so because I thought it was a form of epilepsy, people would try it for migraines and then were able to show that, you know, you would have decreased, um, decreased migraine frequency. Um, and, you know, is that because of some special property of keto or is it because in a keto diet generally you're not going to have the same carbohydrate content and thus glucose swings that might be uh, more common in a more standard American diet. I don't know. Yeah. So just, just to summarize there that um, if you're going keto to, to try and treat migraines, what you're doing essentially is controlling your glucose because you're eliminating a lot of carbs. You might be controlling your glucose that way, but it could be if you kept your glucose under a certain amount by finding carbs that don't cause a big glucose spike, you might be able to accomplish the same thing that those people who had success with keto uh, did with controlling their migraines. The advantage being you don't have to eliminate all carbs and perhaps it would be something more sustainable. That makes sense to me. So, Doc, 
Here's another question for you. And this goes, I think, into the category of our Cygnos tips and tricks, especially for those power users of Cygnos. What kind of things can a, uh, an individual do, a member do that's, that's working with Cygnos to maybe help their healthcare provider, uh, help them work on a solution for their, their migraines? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, we, we look at, as you look at glucose control and like personalized glucose control, there's so many factors that go into it and that, that we help you kind of sift through in the Cygnos app. So if you are doing resistance training one day, you know, that might decrease your glucose over the next 24 hours. And so that might be, you know, you can log that and look back and see, oh, wow, I ate the same thing. And because I did uh, a workout before, you know, my glucose levels were, were much lower. And then you bring in sleep and hydration and all these things that affect your glucose levels. Um, these are all things that might affect, you know, kind of your chance of, of having a migraine. Um, the other thing is we have this ability to log food. Uh, and so, and then, you know, tag either if you're having symptoms or, or how you're feeling at a specific time. So some of a lot of personalized medicine or this idea of how do you figure out is like kind of num N of one, you know, uh, experiments that we talk about, like, how do you figure out for you what is going on and how do you change um, your life in a way that makes you feel healthier? Um, so you might be able to tag when you're having migraines and then look back if you're, if you're conscientious about uh, logging food exercise, was there something I did in the, you know, the 48 hours that either triggered or were, you know, predictive of me having a migraine on this day and then maybe you could start to put together a bit of a pattern of uh, things to avoid or, or things to try to make sure that you do in terms of uh, sleep or hydration or activity. Because um, certainly some evidence shows that physical activity when you're not having a migraine can help prevent migraines. Um, so that might be a, a really good way of kind of getting all this personalized information and tracking it all. Uh, and then being able to maybe kind of do a little bit of self-diagnosis on possible triggers. That is a great piece of advice. And within the Cygnos app, that uh, I'm glad you said that because I just want to remind everybody that there is so many advantages to logging things. Log your food. There are ways to enable Apple, Apple Health Kits so that you're logging sleep if you use any sleep apps. You also can log your hydration. And then you mentioned something I think is really important is that that's the ability to tag things. So if you do suffer from migraines, tag when you have them, and then you can start going back through your data. You can start seeing if there are any patterns to things that you've eaten, to your sleep, to your hydration levels. And then you can use that in a conversation with your, your healthcare provider to figure out if there are things that you can do to help alleviate the symptoms of migraines. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Body Signals. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to our feed. Also, please share this episode with your friends. For those of you who are not yet Cygnos members, go to Cygnos.com, S-I-G-N-O-S.com, and use the code BODYSIGNALS, all one word, to get your 15% discount on Cygnos. 
We look forward to seeing you on our next episode of Body Signals.